Toby Haydock calling Earth. Toby Haydock calling Earth. Although it's fair to say my next victim's claws were already deeply embedded in its carcass. I'm in a lovely house in Kew, and uh, I'm speaking to an actor that I've spoken to several times socially, but this is the first time we're doing it formally, and uh, I'm going to ask him to tell me uh, who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, hello, my name is Bernard Holly. Uh, I'm uh, an actor, and I have been an actor for 50 years this year, long time, about the same length of time as Doctor Who. Ah. Uh, and... Uh, the reason I'm talking about Doctor Who is because in 1967 I did my first Doctor Who, Doctor Who and the Tomb of the Cybermen, playing Peter Hayden. I was uh, alive in one episode and dead in the second. Uh, and then rolled on a few years and I did Zed Cars f uh, for a while and then uh, came back into Doctor Who as uh, the claws, in the claws of Axos, playing Axos. And that has, seems to have been a really rather successful little number. It's, just, it's become, a, I think, a sort of Doctor Who classic or cult because everybody seems to like the claws of Axos and I get all the questions about did I enjoy being painted gold and because I was a golden monster as many of the Who fans will know um, and, and I've also done some stuff for Big Finish as well so I've been sort of associated with Doctor Who from 1967 to the current day to the present day. Part of me is very guilty that for an actor that's been acting for 50 years is the fact that our jump-off point is, is Doctor Who. Do you have a problem with that? Not in the slightest. It's a kind of new lease of life. You know, we go through... I had some very busy working years and you go through various stages and then you get a bit, it gets a bit slow and then it speeds up. But there's always been, from about 1990, I think, this constant presence of Doctor Who. So it's been, a, it's been part of my life all that time. And even, you know, just a... Just a month or so ago, I was at the BBC, um, sorry, about the BFI Riverside, South Bank, I meant, um, doing, the, uh, they were talking about the Tomb of the Cybermen, and I was on a panel, and we watched the four programmes, and it was, I just get fascinated by the whole thing as I sit there and watch my past, <laughs> this boy up on the stage, <laughs> compared to this elderly gentleman <laughs> here, um, it's just it's part of our lives now, and anybody who spurns it or turns it down is nuts, because it's just... It's good for everything. It's good for PR for yourself. It's good to you meet so many different people like you, Toby, and, oh, uh, and, lots, uh, and Robert Ro all the other people that I know, and reacquainted on occasion, although I've known Ian Cullen for years, Ian Cullen, and uh, I get Doctor Who-based and Zed Cars-based emails from him. What do I do about so-and-so? So, so, so. so um, it's, you know, I just wish that Zed Cars had had the kind of life that Doctor Who had had. Because that would be terrific, and but they they lost so many episodes when they were clearing out the episodes years ago that they probably haven't got enough left to make it worthwhile. And maybe some of them were very ropey. Different era, different type of filming, and you know, going out on location on film and then cutting studio. It looks entirely different mm. um, now. Everything is done on film more or less. Sometimes in, but very rarely in studios now. It's just very different. And maybe they just don't think that it's the sort of program that could have any further shelf life I don't know well I, interesting because I don't understand it because I think Zedcast is um, a, is more of a social document than Doctor Who yeah. in the sense that, that, that Doctor Who could do 
could reflect the times in an abstract way, but Zedkar's was very much a reflection of the times. It was, and I think especially at the beginning, especially before Ian and I joined it, <laughs> <laughs> because it, then it was um, it was take, it, it, it came as a big body blow to television in a way, a wake up call. You know, this is how drama should be made: gritty, northern, tough. Uh, and uh, and people just loved it. And apparently, the uh, in, in the dear old BBC Centre, which we now is closing on the thirty first, very shortly. Yeah. Such a shame. I worked there many, many, many times. Um, but uh, the, the galleries around the studio used to be packed. People would go there because they they wouldn't want to watch it on the if they had monitors in their offices, and often they didn't. They all. All the staff crammed into those galleries just to see this new way of making television. It was just an extraordinary event. It was, and I had three, more than about three and a half, very jolly years having a laugh in sitcoms. And aren't you, I think, the actor with the second most, the second highest uh, episode count in Zedcast? 272, I am. It's not bad. Not bad, is <laughs> not it? Bad but we were twice weekly, remember? So when it first started, it was just once weekly, an hour. We were a bit like the, the, the twice weekly soaps now, just um, Wednesday and Friday or something like that. So uh, that, that would double the episode. If they were just an hour long, it would be half of 272, which is... Can I work this out quickly? Yes, I can. 136. Brain's still working. <laughs> <laughs> and, and am I right in thinking that um, Axos was one of the first jobs you did after Zedcars, and it was a sort of conscious decision to do something that would take you away from that character? Yes, that's absolutely right. But the first thing I did straight after Zedcars was Elizabeth R. So in a way, that took me straight mm. away. Uh, from, and uh, I did the usual terrible gags of... David Collins was being stretched on the rack, and I've told the story before, I know I have, on the rack, and I put my Zedcar's hat on. <laughs> I had the full Elizabethan garb, and I walked into the room where he was, it, it, there was a slight break, and I said, excuse me, sir, are you in for a short stretch? I said, because <laughs> he was being stretched on the rack. <laughs> and that kind of brought the house down a bit, and then, uh, they told me to get out of the studio, that's what I meant as MBA myself, so I did. And then I did almost exactly the same thing with Doctor Who. Uh, I had the, the, whole, the, the, the Doctor Who Axos clothes on, costume on, and I put the Zedcar's hat on my head again and went on, on and said, uh, Zed Victor One calling Axos, Zed Victor One calling Axos. But it was entirely the wrong time to do it. Oh. Because at the time, John Pertwee had just, um, not exactly thrown a wobbly, but he'd, uh, there was an atmosphere in the studio and I realised straight away that... Uh, that it wasn't appreciated, my little gag, and nobody laughed except me. <laughs> I found it funny. Oh there no! You go. So, so was he? Was he? I mean, Pert was an interesting character in that um, seems to be the impression that he was. He could. He he took himself very seriously for a comedian. Interestingly, mm. he was uh, fine with me always. Um, in fact, we got on so well that we frequently, Gene and his wife and John, we went out for meals after I'd, long after I'd finished. So we'd meet up occasionally and he would be his usual self, you know, sometimes a bit grumpy, to say the least, with waiters. Um, um, but mostly he was very good at But just occasionally, the, 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 when this particular thing happened, I should have realised, I was in the makeup room and uh, he said, I've got a feeling things are going to go wrong today, in a very sort of gruff kind of unpleasant voice. And they did, nearly all because of his, mm. you know, he wasn't happy that day. So he made things go wrong. 
And uh, that was a strange side of him. And other times he'd be totally charming. Everybody enjoyed his company. And as you say, great raconteur, um, funny guy. Um, but uh, he had a slightly darker side as well. Well, that's but it never happened to me. That, that, well, that's interesting. We'll come back to Doctor Who, but that ties in with somebody that I know that you worked with who um, seems to be another comedian who was a fascinating character who, I won't be around, it was Kenneth Williams who, reading his diaries, one day he would say, a workman waved at me on the street. How lovely. And then the next day he'd be like, a workman waved at me in the street. How dare these people talk to me like that? Uh, and oh, what, what a curious sort of duality. Yeah. Ken was extraordinary. He was, um, I think, the actor really that I, that I most learnt from. Really? Yeah. Because his timing was just wonderful. He could time a line up. No other actor I've ever worked with. And then he'd come out with a line, and the, the laughter that, that, that he got was almost physically painful. It came rushing across the footlights at you. And it, on the first night in Brighton, My Fat Friend, the play was, which ran for about seven months before... Dear Ken left with bum trouble, which he's always doing, apparently. <laughs> um, the first night in Brighton, the, 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 his co-star, I won't mention her name, was a scared little rabbit. There's no other way of describing it. So she walked through every single one of Ken's laugh lines, every single one, not just once or twice, but every single one. And Ken was just brilliant. He simply repeated her line and then said his own. He fed himself for the whole evening. It was an amazing tour de force. Never seen anything like it before or since. And I've learned from that. I've learned that when I was on the stage and doing plays at places like Windsor, sometimes in the West End, that uh, if there's a big unexpected laugh and, you're, and the, the next line is, is your, uh, that somebody gives as a cue for your next laugh, that then just repeat the line. And, then say, and I, it's worked. It is extraordinary. And it's interesting because, he, I mean, he, always, he wasn't a character actor because his personality was so huge. Or am I wrong with that? I mean, did he play everything as Kenneth Williams? He, we, his director was Eric Thompson. Um, ah. Uh, from the Magic Roundabout. From the Magic Roundabout. Father, Roundabout. Of, Emma Father of Emma Thompson. And also, for listeners of this podcast, he played Gaston in episodes one to three of The Massacre. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and also, his wife was Phyllida Law. Yeah. So it's a lovely theatrical family. Um, uh, he, Eric didn't want him to be the, the nostril flaring comic, you know, pulling faces and going over the top. And, and so he, d he said that to Ken. At the end of the first week's rehearsal, he said something like, we don't want this to be an evening with Kenneth Williams. And that was red rag to a bull, you know, because Ken liked his evenings, you know, <laughs> in the spotlight. Um, but Eric was quite tough and, and daunting, really, for him, that he had this, this uh, single-minded comic, and he was a single-minded director. Um, and so Ken would do the reverse then. If, if, if Eric said, look, please... Please, Ken, take it down, take it down. You don't need to do all that. It's funny enough as it is. And it was. My Fat Friend's a very funny play. Have you ever seen it? No. It's a very funny play. Uh, and um, Ken, kind of in revenge, sometimes would take it down. He'd take it down so low he didn't get a laugh. It was his way of saying, I don't agree with what you're doing. But then, then he started to realise, even if he took it down by 50%, he'd get just as big laughs as he did when he was playing at 100%, mm. and sometimes even bigger. You know, he did. He, he eventually adapted to it, but he never got on with, um, 
with with Eric. They didn't. They just didn't see eye to eye, which is a shame, really, because uh, Eric had the right ideas for Ken, and Ken could do what Eric wanted, but he he was kind of fighting against it because it wasn't his normal style. And he was he was I mean he was an actor that worked a lot. He was a household name. Yep. Why did he hate himself? Well, he hated being gay, although he'd never admit it. But I get on, got, again, got him on with him very well, and that's why he says those six or seven nice things about me in his diaries, because I'm a good listener, and he's a good talker. The combination works very well. You are somebody that is very convincing as doctors and lawyers and solicitors, and that does that tie in with the voiceover as well, in that you are... you. I have a reassuring voice, as yeah, I said. Yeah. I think it does, and certainly the corporate stuff, um, because I did all those kind of parts. Well, I've done doctors, I've done casual, I've done Holby, and have I played a doctor in any of them? No, but I did play a doctor in Junior Hospital. Oh yes, <laughs> and the other was—I uh, don't know. I—I I, did—I did a couple of doctors. Never done solicitors. I've done a, one judge. I was a young judge, young in in the courtroom, Mersey Television epic. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I think that. But in a way, that also turns against you to, to a certain extent. You're never considered to, the, to be the villain. Although one of the first tellers I did, I played a villain. That was just before I went into Z cars. I was in Softly Softly, playing yeah. playing a little villain, and uh, that was um, that was memorable because I had to drive a car, and I'd never sat in the driving seat of a car at all. And uh, they knew that, luckily. And the, the stuntman, mad as a hatter, I sat in the driving seat, you can't believe this, I sat in the driving seat, he sat, he was hanging out of the door, with the door, door open and the car was moving, all I had to do was mime the wheel, because he was doing all of that, changing gears with his feet, hanging out the door, like this, and there were cars coming towards him, honking, <laughs> <laughs> really, it was really terrifying. Was that Derek Ware or something? It was somebody like him, it wasn't him, there was another stuntman around at that time, who was well known for all these crazy stunts that he did, and they got him to do it. And then, I, went, I got into Zekars quite quickly after that, softly, softly, quite quickly, Not, and I still hadn't had a driving lesson, hadn't done anything. And I, but I was just a PC. You know, what didn't have a name, didn't have a contract. I was just, they occasionally ran me up and said, there's a, there's a policeman in, in walking in the background, and he's got to say good evening all, or something. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so, I did, so I did, uh, I, I did about three episodes, three or four episodes, just as PC, P, PC, Bernard Holly, before I became PC Newcomb. Uh, and uh, I couldn't drive, and I looked at the script and said, Bernard Holly, uh, PC, whatever, the PC gets into his panda car and drives off. And I um, thought, do I tell them? This was two, a couple of days before we were filming. Do I tell them? I thought, no, if I tell them, I might get the sack. So I'm going to go along and let them handle it. So I get that. Do does the name Gerald Blake mean anything to you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Doctor, he directed, yeah, he did a lot he directed of the Abominable Snowman in The Invasion of Time. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Gerald Blake was the director, and I saw uh, we became great friends. Um, uh, he was the director, and uh, his P I said to his PA, um, Mr. Blake, you know, I was very polite then, Mr. Blake does realise that I can't drive, doesn't he? And she went, I don't think he knows that at all. So I better go and tell him. So I watched her go across, and she said to him, You do realise that Bernard Holly can't drive? And I saw him go, you know, complete exasperation, and he came over to me trying to smile. He said, I understand you can't drive. He said through his teeth. I said, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I tried to get hold of your production office. I lied. Uh, and um, so they, that, that time, they, they made it easy. They had 
somebody who could drive, dressed in a policeman's uniform, one of the stuntmen again, I think, dressed in a policeman's uniform, in a wide shot, he drove up, you couldn't really see who it was, and the car stopped and they cut, and then I got in the car and got out of the car. So, so it worked. Well, tell, tell us about Joe, because he, he, all the interviews I've read, I've, I've uh, read about Gerald Blake said that he was, uh, he was a bit of a party animal. He enjoyed himself. He more than enjoyed himself on occasion. <laughs> he was wonderful. I felt, I felt so sorry for him uh, towards the latter end of his career when he couldn't get work and he was, you know, probably having a little bit too much sauce. And, um, but he was, he was fun, you know, and, and, and that was, in a way, that was a, a sort of thing that happened in television in those days. It was just fun, you know, so it, it was taken seriously and you had to make the programmes, but it was also fun. And so he, he directed... Gentle Touch, and he directed many Z cars that I did. Um, we just became buddies, and I've got, probably got photographs in the house. We have big parties here with him, always the whiskey in his hand or brandy or something, <laughs> enjoying the sauce. Um, he was just a lot, a lot of fun. He really was, and 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 also very good at his job. He knew television inside out, but he had a bit of a disastrous romantic life, you know. So it didn't. I won't mention names, but it didn't go very well for him. And he was devastated by that. Oh, bless him. Yeah. Well, um, and of course the director that uh, cast you, well, we will talk about him at some point, um, <laughs> but the director that cast you in Claws of Axos is, ah. I think, one of Doctor Who's finest directors, Michael <laughs> Ferguson. So do I, because of giving me the part for a start. Uh, Maurice Bar- Barry, director, as you know, directed The Tomb of the Cybermen, and then, uh, you know, straight after Zekos, Michael came up to me in the club in the BBC club, pile of scripts. And he said, how do you think you look in gold? He said. <laughs> so I said, is this an offer? And he said, uh, I can't remember what he said, and, but it was an offer, in fact. And I, I read it and I thought, well, this is perfect, really. I'm, I was a bit worried about it uh, because it, it's not like now where everybody wants to be in Doctor Who. It was, um, it was the programme that you, you just did because it was, you know, they'd offered you a nice part and the money was terrible, but it doesn't matter. It'll be fun working with Pat Troughton or, or whoever. Um, it was just a job for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of, none of us realised the significance of it or where it was going to go in 50 years' time. Um, and uh, he gave, uh, so, so it was perfect, really. It was perfect. A perfect way to to get away from from the normality of Z cars and normal life, you know. And uh, it, uh, it, it was uncomfortable occasionally with those things on my eyes. And uh, ev- ev- for months afterwards, I get bits of gold and suddenly would appear <laughs> from nowhere and round back in my hairline—not months, but certainly many, many weeks afterwards. I'd find bits of gold everywhere, and it took hours to get. I scrub my face; my face would be red by the time I scrubbed it off. And I got this most peculiar letter from a man. There was an article in the Radio Times about me and, and the Clause of Axos. I got this letter from a guy who said, wrote something like, I've still got the letter somewhere, I'm a, I, I model in gold and silver paint, he said. This is how you get rid of it. And he went into great detail about every orifice and how to get silver or gold paint out of every single orifice. It was very peculiar. So I, um, I ignored all his advice because I thought it was very peculiar <laughs> <laughs> and just got it off by simple scrubbing, really, basically. Well, I th- yeah, it's interesting. I think you needed a better agent at the time, though, because you'd just come out of Zedcast, so you were a household name, and yet actually on the credits, 
you're you're quite low down. You're behind Peter Bathurst, Paul Grist, who yeah. wasn't a name, yeah. uh, David Savile, well, Donald um, Hewlett. That was uh, Fraser and Dunlop, and they were you know one of the top agents in the country yeah. at the time. They should have negotiated I, better. I didn't. Um, I didn't bother my head about those sort of things. I, 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 I think we all felt, to a certain extent, that we were the second string Z cars. And that's a wrong, probably the wrong thing to say. But um, the re really powerful one, what happened was, and you probably know this, but I will repeat it, the Z cars ran for well, however many years it ran. They just, the BBC decided to, to stop it, to stop. It was a, a, an internal decision to stop. And um, Softly Softly was created from it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 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 same, uh, taking some of the cast, as you know, taking you know, Stratford Johns and Frank Windsor, yeah. And then through public demand, they said, Z-Cars came back as a twice-weekly series, as opposed to, the, uh, I've talked about it already, the one, the, the one hour that it was before. And so Softly, Softly was really the kind of helm police drama, and Z-Cars came a bit of a second string. And I think maybe that's the reason it wasn't quite considered in the in the mainstream of television as it had been when it first started. I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm this is my own theory I'm making it sort of making it up as I go along um, that could be the reason why Fraser and Dunlop maybe tried I don't know mm. ask them if no, they're not around anymore I don't think but but that said those people who you are behind the credits on uh, didn't return to play the same part they didn't. Many, many years they later. Didn't. I mean, is that not extraordinary uh, to you? I, of course, yeah. Like, to, to actually play Axos again after 40, 40 years, about 39 years. Extraordinary. And at first I didn't know, uh, I think it was my voiceover agent rang me and said, uh, there's a couple of days job for you coming up very shortly. Uh, you, are you free on the Sunset weekend? I just thought it was a voiceover. Didn't know, any, didn't know anything about it. And... Uh, Nobody had rung me or said, can we discuss this um, clause of access with you? It didn't, just didn't happen. And I, took, I just took it for granted it was a, a job and I'd be earning two days' money, although the money's not wonderful. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then the script arrived, and I, you know, again, I almost swore. <laughs> I told my voice, it's Axos. I'm playing Axos again, I can't believe it. And then I did it, and... How long? Three months later or four months later, it came out. The result, the, the sort of comments and critiques that I had were amazing. This yeah. Bernard Holly with the same voice, and I uh, shivered when he spoke. And if I, if I, I swear that if I heard him in the supermarket, hairs would run up and down the back of my head. You know, it was the most. I've, I've printed them all out. I've got them all. I searched the internet, scoured the internet for the wonderful Bernard Holly. It was extraordinary. Never had that kind of reception on anything I've done. I've had good notices over mm -hmm. the years, but not that kind of. And there, but there was just one. There's always There's one. Always There's one. always the one that you <laughs> yeah. harbour on yeah. as well. There was one guy who said, of course, Bernard Holly can't possibly sound the same after 40 years. And that was his critique of it. Compared to some of the things I've read about me, you've got that, you're doing all right. <laughs> well, I know, but it's just the one, isn't it? It's like yeah. a stack of good notices and the one that you always refer back to. That's well, the one I'm talking yeah, about. Absolutely. And if I could remember his name, I'd quote it over the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, swine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, and do you remember Roger Delgado, who's of course. very fondly remembered? Yeah, he was a very, very nice man. Uh, he he get twitchy occasionally. Uh, when I was around, he he accidentally, or I, I'm sure the props guys didn't do it on purpose. He got handcuffed to a radiator, and they lost the key temporarily. So he was stuck down on the 
<laughs> and they called tea break and they forgot about him <laughs> and he was yelling apparently he was calling out saying please get me out of this I want a cup of tea just like everybody else and they did eventually but um, he wasn't happy about that mostly he was utterly charming and I was dead and again we, you know we didn't uh, socialize with with him but when after he died and um, what's her name uh, Kismet Kismet met, met uh, uh, Bill Marlowe, Marlo. you know all these names, and I forget them all. Um, met Bill Marlowe. We often used to go out and have meals with them. Oh, so, so. you mates with Bill? Oh yeah, because of gentle touch. Of course, yeah. he was yeah. a fine actor. Oh, very good. Uh, but, well, they all were actually. I, I really enjoyed the gentle touch. That, that's one of the most enjoyable tellers that I've ever done because it was a lovely cast, and it was just fun from beginning to end. It was terrific. Um, that, that, of course, and. Doctor Who, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, that's right. It goes without saying. You can, you can like other shows, <laughs> it's fine. Well, let's wind back then to um, Tomb of the Cybermen when you... Uh, um, it's, I, I have to say, I've, I've written a book about Doctor Who and um, I do say about Tomb of the Cybermen, which was for many years a lost classic, and I do say... Uh, it, it seems to me that they're killing the best actor first. You told me this the other day. <laughs> I glowed about it for 24 hours. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a nice performance. Um, yeah, I got I a very think... nice letter from Pete, uh, the producer Peter Bryant afterwards. I don't know, he said something like, I don't normally notice the people playing the less large, the non-leading parts, he said, but uh, I, you certainly made an impact on me, he said, That's, which was really sweet, you know, to get mm. that. When you're a young actor, and you know, it was a very nice thing to happen. That was, don't forget that was before Z Cars. Yeah. Um, so it was really very early in my television career. Uh, so that was very nice. And, and, and at the BFI a month or so ago, it was lovely seeing it on the big screen and with good sound. And you know, it was. Do you think it's any good? Yeah, I think it, uh, I think it works very well. You know, I haven't seen it probably enough to to know where it comes in the lexicon of Doctor Who. Uh, very classics. highly, it's highly yeah I gathered that from, apparently the tickets sold out within 24 hours yeah. or something like that yeah um, but and for years of course it was lost I was well, yeah it so came out in 1991 was it yeah, 92 92 I think, yeah, yeah something yeah. like that yeah found somewhere in a Hong Kong Hong Kong that's it yeah. yeah and apparently there was a there was a, a showing at the BFI or something or BAFTA or somewhere yes where uh, a launch a relaunch and you, and you I wasn't invited. invited or I might have been and uh, but I was, that was during a very busy period of my working life, I might have been away. You know. uh, but I wasn't invited, no, certainly not. Uh, and then suddenly I, I realised when royalty started to come in from... I didn't really know that the Tomb of Cybermen had been rediscovered. You get these penny halfpenny royalties that we get, sometimes a bit more than a penny halfpenny, but mostly a penny halfpenny. <laughs> um, this, this little programme I did that, that I just went along and did because it was a job has become something a bit more than a job. And do you remember how you got how you got the part? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was through Gareth Gwendolyn. Oh, of course. Gareth yes. Gwendolyn I worked with at, uh, I, I went, I went at drama school with, at Rose Bruford, and then uh, he went on to Derby Playhouse to be an assistant director or something like that, or so, something like that. And I was there for a year at the same time as he was. So when he came to London, I think he might well have been working on walk, working on Doctor Who in some capacity, knowing Morris Barry. Yeah, knowing Morris Barry. And I think he suggested. I think that's uh, the, uh, the answer to that question. I think, 
almost certainly was. He later became head of comedy at the BBC. That's right, and, yeah. uh, never used yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> really? Ah. He had me in for a few things, but uh, it never, never happened. <laughs> well, I don't, want to, I don't want to mention names, but Graham Harper, <laughs> dear Graham, no, I love him. He, uh, he was a very nice guy to work with, and uh, I did his director's training course film. Yeah. And the unwritten rule, Graham, is that you, if people work for you for nothing and do these, do these training courses, you then, at some stage, give them a job. <laughs> Here we are. He never has. He never has. Thank you, Graham. Listen up, Harper. <laughs> <laughs> Probably won't ever hear this, but somebody might tell him. <laughs> might, I'll tell him then. Um, and okay. uh, you worked with, obviously on Tomb, the, 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 you know, the big name was, uh, was, was Troughton, who seems oh, yeah. to me to be the actor's choice of Doctor. Yeah, it's, it's just an old pro, you know. It's, it, it, I mean, the things that they did, like, like grabbing each other's hands, yeah. just little, little <laughs> things that they did, I, I can't ever see any other of the Doctors doing that except him. Uh, were they, or Sylvester, of course, would have done anything, <laughs> but uh, not not in the not not remaining in character like he did, and not taking a hand and realizing it. it was just wonderful little moment, and also just to be with, to be around. He was just a very very nice man. I can't say I got to know him terribly well, because um, it wasn't you know I was only there for a week and a day or so in the gravel pits. So when I watch it, I see this boy wandering around in the background. <laughs> I think he's looking in, he's trying to find out how to do things. <laughs> uh, would you like to nominate a charity? Yes, I've been involved with, with Actors Charities for many, many years now through the what was the Actors Charitable Trust and Denville Hall. And uh, we've done a lot of work raising money and developing those places and helping the children of actors out and students as well. We help student children of actors um, with various things like help towards school f fees and whatever. Uh, not private school fees, but uh, if they want to go to drama school. Uh, uh, both charities genuinely help. And Denville Hall is a home for elderly actors. And it brings me very briefly to, to Lord Attenborough, Richard Attenborough, who was, uh, was the chairman of the, uh, of the Actors' Ter Terrible Trust, stroke Denville Hall for many, many, many years. And uh, it's just been announced in the papers about his fall and that he's not very well and he's now resident at Denville Hall along with his wife Sheila. And he, can I just say that he was the most wonderful man. And I, I got kind of a bit angry when people call him a lovey because he's always crying. But the, the good work that he's done over the years, not only for actors, but for other people, has just been phenomenal. I have so much admiration for him, and I'm so sorry that he's... Although he's been well looked after, and, and he ends up in the place that he supported for all his working life. So he, he's just a wonderful man. So last year, uh, sorry, earlier this year, what was it? Like? Yeah, at the end of last year, the Actors' Charitable Trust changed slightly and became the Actors' Children's Trust, because that charity basically helps the children of actors with special needs. So that is the, the, uh, the charity that I would like to nominate for anybody who wishes to send money to them. And, and please do. And also, as an adjunct to that, um, aside from all of the lovey and all of that uh, nonsense, Richard Attenborough was one hell of an actor as well. Oh, he was, yeah. yeah probably one of the best of his generation. Uh, and the reason we have convened here, although it was just a jumping-off point for a fascinating conversation, is that this year Doctor Who is, is 50 years old. Uh, it started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, would you believe? Uh, so what is your message to the Doctor Who fans listening? Well, I think I really want to thank everybody that writes to me, tweets me, does all, do all sorts of things like that. 
just to say keep it going because it's been it's such a joy for actors who worked in it to be it's not the word not reminded of our past but it's to know that you're appreciated for what what you've done all those years ago and uh i still love it and i i love going back and doing i did also i did uh, love and war recently as well for big finish oh, and, yeah classic yeah and i'm hoping possibly one day to do something more for them you never know <laughs> and uh just you know keep Carrying the torch for Doctor Who is my message to Doctor Who fans. Well, look, it's a it's a great pleasure for me because I watched you on telly as a kid, and it's through Doctor Who that I've got to meet you and socialise with you, and, uh, and and now do this with you, and it's uh, something I find extremely flattering. So thank you for your time, and thank you for being so keen on Doctor Who. And uh, I'd just say, Bernard Holly, thank you very much. And thank you, Toby, because you are easy to talk to. Bless you. Thank you very much. That was great. That was great. I hope it's that long. was okay for you. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was long, but I, there's not much I'm going to lose from that. Yeah. So I think it was... Good. Good. Have a biscuit now. <laughs> <laughs>
Wherever here is, no. Just my little old bachelor flat in Portland Place. Look, that's a broadcasting house. And the little old bachelor is? Hilary Hammond, at your service. Doctor Who Enemy Aliens. Performed by India Fisher with Michael Maloney as Hilary Hammond. Oh, by the way, everybody, I'm doing a double performance of my two Doctor Who-themed one-man shows, Moths Ate My Doctor Who Scarf and My Stepson Stole My Sonic Screwdriver at the Garrick Theatre in London at the West End on the 17th of November this year, the week before the anniversary. As you haven't paid for these podcasts, maybe you could pay to come and see those. They're, they're funny, and Doctor Who is mentioned in them now and again.